Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, Amka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Neto Chimani. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour, mixed reaction to South Africa's cabinet reshuffle. And UN chief says Syria's ceasefire must take effect immediately. In economics news, Namibia's Faisal Fresh Produce joins Agro-Marketing Trade Agency and in sports news, Team South Africa make final adjustments for Commonwealth Games. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussan. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa has announced a sweeping reshuffle that included reappointing Ntlantla Nene, who was sacked by former President Jacob Zuma as Finance Minister. David Mabuza, the current Premier of Mpumalanga Province, has been named as the Deputy President of the country. Ramaphosa announced 30 changes to Minister and Deputy Minister positions after Zuma was forced to resign by the ruling ANC party earlier this month. Ramaphosa read out the new list of ministers last night. Mr. David Mabuza will be sworn in as Deputy President of the Republic. Dr. Zuedin Kize will be sworn in as Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs. Mr. Ntlantla Nene, once sworn in as Minister, I intend to have him appointed as Minister of Finance. Ms. Regina as Deputy Minister of International Relations and Cooperation. All these new ministers and deputy ministers will be sworn in in Cape Town. The others who can be sworn in will be sworn in on other days during the week. Botswana has blamed Congolese President Joseph Kabila for his country's humanitarian and security crisis. Western powers have repeatedly criticized Kabila, whose mandate expired in December 2016, but African countries have been more gently, uh, gently urging progress toward long-delayed elections but avoiding direct condemnations of Kabila. Botswana's statement comes after the resignation of Kabila's close ally, Jacob Zuma, as South African president added to uncertainty about his standing among key African states. Kabila is facing mounting pressure in the streets to organize prompt elections, Security forces killed at least two people at a church-led march on Sunday. More than a dozen protesters have been killed since December. 
A United Nations report says two-thirds of the South Sudanese population, around 7 million people, could face severe food insecurity in the coming months without sustained humanitarian assistance and access. Concerns have also been raised in the report of a return to famine-like conditions place over 150,000 people, including almost 30,000 children, in immediate risk. The world's youngest country finds itself in the midst of a four-year civil war and multiple failed ceasefires and peace deals. The Secretary-General spokesperson, Stefan Dujaric. The period of great risk will be a lean season between May and July. Particularly at risk, 155,000 people, including 29,000 children who could suffer from the most extreme levels of danger, of hunger. Excuse me. In January, 5.3 million people and nearly half of the population were already struggling to find enough food each day and were in crisis or emergency level of food insecurity. This represents a 40% increase on the number of severely food insecure people compared to January 2017. Improved access and a massive humanitarian response succeeds in containing and averting famine last year. Despite this, the food insecurity outlook has never been so dire as it is now. Our colleagues warn that progress made to prevent people from dying of hunger could be undone and more people than ever could be pushed into severe hunger or famine-like conditions. The death toll from last week's food protests at a refugee camp in Rwanda has increased to 11. Rwandan police broke up a crowd demonstrating against a cut in food rations. Police had reported five Congolese refugees were killed and more than 20 injured in the incident last Thursday. It followed days of city-in protests against the reduction in food aid at Kaziba Refugee Camp in Western Rwanda. The United Nations High Commission for Refugees has released a statement saying 11 refugees died at two locations. And finally, the Nigerian military says troops were withdrawn from Dabchi town days before an attack on a school there, during which over 100 schoolgirls were abducted because the area was secure. Earlier, the governor of Yobe State, where the attack took place last week, blamed these army's withdrawal for the abduction. The BBC's Stephanie Hagetti reports. The statement is an admission of sorts. In it, the army acknowledged that troops were pulled out of Dapshi town in the run-up to the attack last Monday. But it claims that soldiers were redeployed because Dapchi was considered relatively secure. It was the job of the police, it said, to continue to secure the town. It wasn't until six days after the attack that the government acknowledged that 110 girls were taken. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. This is indeed a joyous night. We are delighted by the overwhelming support for the African National Congress. To the people of South Africa and the world, this is indeed a joyous night for the human spirit. Your help and a party. This year, 2018, 
marks a hundred years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Kholihlahla Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa, celebrating 100 years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective. South Africa's ruling ANC Deputy President David Mabuza is to be sworn in as a member of parliament before taking over as the country's deputy president today. He will be part of over 20 cabinet ministers and at least five deputies who are to be made members of parliament. This follows President Sil Ramaphosa's cabinet reshuffle last night. The president appointed Ntlantanene as the new finance minister with Pravin Gordon taking up the public enterprises portfolio and Gweda Mandashe as mineral resources minister. Ndebo Mokobo has more. Faith Motambi, Desvan Roy and David Matloba and Pongani Pongo are some of the ministers who were booted out of the Cyril Ramaphosa cabinet. President Ramaphosa says the new changes to the national executive are intended to ensure that national government is better equipped to implement the mandate of the fifth administration and more importantly some of the tasks identified in the State of the Nation address. In making these changes, I have been very conscious of the need to balance continuity and stability for the need for renewal, economic recovery and uh, accelerated transformation in our country. And with criticism that the administration of former President Jacob Zuma had a bloated cabinet, President Ramaphosa says they are now on course to review the number of government departments, insisting that this should be finalized soon. As indicated in the State of the Nation address, we have begun a review of the configuration, the size and the number of national ministries and departments. We will retain existing ministries and departments until that review is completed. Once it is completed, we will then be able to make the necessary announcements. Meanwhile, President Cyril Ramaphosa has named David Mabuza as the country's new deputy president to be sworn in with a number of other cabinet ministers and deputies. Mr. David Mabuza will be sworn in as deputy president of the republic. Dr. Zuelim Kize will be sworn in as Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs. Mr. Ntlantla Nene, once sworn in as Minister, I intend to have him appointed as Minister of Finance. Ms. Regina Mshawler, as Deputy Minister of International Relations and Cooperation. All these new ministers and Deputy Ministers will be sworn in in Cape Town tomorrow. The others who can be sworn in tomorrow will be sworn in on other days during the week. Other prominent appointments include Ntlantlanen as Finance Minister, Pravin Gordon as Public Enterprises Minister, Begikel as Minister of Police, and Kweremantash as Mineral Resource Minister. Dr. Nkosa Sanatlamene Zuma, who ran against him in a highly contested race for the ANC presidency two months ago, has been appointed minister in the presidency for monitoring and evaluation in what has been seen as an effort to foster unity within the party. 
I am Tebomokobo in Pretoria. South African opposition parties have expressed mixed reaction to the latest cabinet reshuffle. President Sil Ramaphosa announced his new cabinet members, including a new finance minister in Tlantlanene, Gweda Mandashe's mineral resources, and Gosazana Tlaminizuma as minister in the presidency. Some ministers who have been axed include Figilim Balula, David Mashobo, and Faith Mutambi. Mbali Sibanyoni reports. The Democratic Alliance has questioned the appointment of Didi Mabuza as deputy president, saying it is a fatal compromise. At the same time, the Economic Freedom Fighters says President Ramaphosa's cabinet reshuffle is nothing to write home about. Despite the removal of controversial figures such as David Mashobo, Musebenzi Zwane and Des van Rooyen from the executive, the party says more people should have been removed from cabinet. Party Secretary General Godrich Gardi elaborates. Any cabinet that has got the name of Melus Kikaba and Nomvula Mokonyana stands to be rejected. You cannot take Melus Kikaba back to home affairs, the origin of all state capture and the, city, the suspicious citizenship that was given to the foreign Indian nationals who captured the state. This is nothing but a reconfiguration of the cabals and cliques of uh, the Nazarek uh, conference of the ANC. Nothing short of voting out the ANC will actually restore the dignity and economic recovery in this country. The FF Plus says the latest cabinet reshuffle shows how Ramaphosa has been captured by his own political party, the ANC. FF Plus spokesperson Peter Grunewald says the president did not stick to his promises as delivered in the State of the Nation address. If you look, for instance, uh, at certain ministers in certain positions, it is quite clear that there was pressure on him to also ensure that from the old Zuma faction being accommodated. It is also disappointing that, for instance, he didn't uh, reduce the number of ministers as he had promised the people of South Africa. And, I mean, there are some of the bad apples that uh, are still in the cabinet, for instance, Malusi Gigaba. He's back at home affairs, and that's actually where every, uh, all the problems actually started. Meanwhile, Alliance partners have expressed their satisfaction with the latest restructuring of Cabinet, with the SACP saying the ANC has heeded its long-standing call of reshuffling Cabinet. SACP spokesperson Alex Mashilo says they were consulted before the President took his final decisions. We are happy about the consultation process that took place because that marks a radical departure. Firstly, from the era where we just see cabinet announced at night when we are sleeping without consultation, not least uh, with uh, the alliance, but also particularly the ANC itself. You remember last year in March, at least three of ANC national officials came out to say that the ANC was itself not consulted. Kasatu, on the other hand, has welcomed Ramaphosa's new appointments, saying despite only being told hours before, they are happy with the appointments of the new positions. Is that the type of the consultation we want? Uh, we would expect it to be improved more than what uh, he was doing because it's not just about telling us what his views or what he is deciding. It's also about what are the principles behind certain decisions and what contributions can alliance partners make. But it's a good start on his part. Uh, We will expect that we'll improve going forward on this type of a consultation. 
The ANC says it also welcomes the latest cabinet reshuffle announced by Ramaphosa and are satisfied that all the necessary consultations and considerations were taken into account before the president announced his final decision. Cadres deployed to perform these responsibilities have themselves been informed accordingly. We hope that the kind of skills that have been brought about to reinforce the national executive would assist us to ready our machinery going into the 2019 elections. We have even brought back Comrade Figilem Balula at head office to head the important work of elections so that he could be able to use his available skills to allow the ANC to master the two sets it needs to be able to implement this program on the ground. The new cabinet ministers will be sworn in in parliament before the end of business on Tuesday. Ambali Sibanyoni in Johannesburg. Channel Africa. Kultanjoy Addis Ababa. Silvanus Kalemera, reporting for Channel Africa in Kigali. Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean Noel Bamwesi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi, informing the world about Africa. Ngatani in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. And I am Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. South Africa's main opposition party says South Africa's President Sul Ramaphosa's decision to name African National Congress Deputy President David Mabuza as the country's deputy in a late-night cabinet reshuffle on Monday is a fatal compromise. For more on this, Morning Live's Leanne Manners spoke to DA Chief Whip in Parliament, John Steinhazen. Yeah, I think it's a cabinet for, for the ANC and to address the factions and fractions within the ANC uh, rather than a cabinet that's best for South Africa. I think that the inclusion of Mr. Didi Mabuza as the deputy president of the republic, essentially a heartbeat away from the presidency, is a prospect so terrifying that it's hard to fathom. Clearly, this was a fatal compromise made at Nazrik uh, by Mr. Ramaphosa, and he's now being forced to deliver on it. Mr. Mabuza is a deeply compromised individual. I think there has been some good appointments. I think here one thinks particularly of Naledi Pando at Higher Education, uh, Praveen Godan at Public Enterprise, and of course the return of Minister Nene uh, to finance when he's sworn in again as an MP. Uh, but the big concern as well is the retention of many of the state capturers, the Zuptas, that are still in that cabinet. One thinks here particularly of Minister Malusi Gagaba, who has been found recently to have lied in court and violated the Constitution, and who, while he was originally the Minister of Home Affairs, granted the Gupta citizenship using his ministerial discretion to allow them to carry on their nefarious activities here in South Africa. Uh, he still needs to be held accountable for that. And it's, I think that the retention of him, uh, Mrs. Batabile Dlamini, uh, Nomvula Mokanyan, and a whole host of other compromised individuals will be the Achilles heel of the Ramaphosa cabinet and potentially his presidency. Yeah. I mean, I know that you've been, and, and, and particularly um, your leader, Musi Maimani, has been very, very vocal of Didi Mabuza as the deputy president of South Africa, saying that this is a danger to the country. Uh, you know, why? Why, why, do you, why is he using such strong words? Why would one say that our deputy president is a danger? Well, I think that if one looks at his track record uh, in Mpumalanga, where he's essentially run against a state, 
Uh, he's uh, taken uh, care of uh, political opponents. Uh, you know, he's maneuvered. Uh, there's a wide variety of skeletons relating to corruption, maladministration and abuse of office. Uh, and his wheeling and dealing within that province uh, is, is an open secret. Everybody knows it's been going on. But because he's essentially run that as a fiefdom, uh, he's been able to, to get away with it. Bringing that now to the heart of the presidency with the you know, appointing him as a deputy president, I think, uh, is uh, severely compromised uh, Mr. Ramaphosa's commitment to rooting out corruption and maladministration and bringing uh, clean government. And mm. Mr. Uh, Mr. Mabuza is the clear antithesis of all these things that Mr. Ramaphosa says that he wants to achieve uh, with uh, his new government. Yeah, I mean... As you say, you have given credit where credit's due. I mean, we've seen the removal of many of the ministers that uh, have been uh, fingered for all kinds of corruption and, and links to the Gupta family. We talk about Moza Benzizwane, Des Fanoy and Lynn Brown, David Matlobo. They've all been removed. However, I know that there's th those positions. You've spoken about Malusi Gigaba, who many have said he is young. He is somebody that, um, you know, has still uh, got a lot going for him and could perhaps add value again to the portfolio of Home Affairs. But there's Batabile Lamini in the uh, position of the Ministry of Women. And I think a lot of people are raising questions about this particular development. Again, let's get your reaction to this. Well, I think, uh, you know, firstly on Minister Gagaba, I think it's important to realize that in all three ministries that he's held, they've all been dogged with Gupta scandals, public enterprises, appointments to the boards, home affairs, the citizenship and naturalization granted to the Guptas, and in finance. Um, but I think that Mrs. Dlamini uh, is again shows the example of why this has been done for the party rather than for the country. DA Chief Whip in Parliament, John Stenhazen, speaking there to Leanne Manners on Morning Live. It is 8.22 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our South Africa's opposition parties have had mixed reaction following last night's cabinet reshuffle by President Sil Ramaphosa. Some have called the reshuffle as a recycling of ministers as Ntlantanene returned to the Treasury as Finance Minister following his firing in 2015 by then-President Jacob Zuma. Now, the other move that got the nod is the appointment of Begitele as, as Police Minister as he is seen as a crime fighter. To speak to us more on this, we're now joined on the line by political analyst Dimsani Klope. Dimsani, good morning and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Thank you. Good morning to you, Lolo, and to our listeners. Now, Dumsani, we've been talking about the cabinet reshuffle, when it would likely take place, and last night we almost saw a midnight cabinet reshuffle by President Silva Ramaphosa. What's your take on this reshuffle? <laughs> Is it appeasing the infighting within the African National Congress, as um, some have come out and stated, or is it just a move to ensure that, as he said, continuity in the work of government? Well, I, 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 thanks to the, I, I think I missed the prediction by a day because I had guessed that's going to happen by Wednesday. Uh, I got to that one, but here's how I see it. I think there are three foundations that he based his reshuffle on. The first one is, is issues of good governance. That's why you targeted the, the lack of the lack of state-owned enterprises. You needed someone to come back and clean up that place in the form of province 
got done. And then the second one was the issue of uh, integrity on, on the finance portfolio. So this is why you had the Satan and the coming back. So in terms of that portfolio, I think it has done, you know, fairly well. And I think the markets are going to be happy with that. And then the second foundation that he used or, or basis was the issue of uh, performance. So if you look at that performance issue, then you understand that the likes of Wanema uh, Shamaite couldn't remain as the Minister of Foreign Affairs because South Africa state has an international relation as high, so degenerated under her leadership. So she couldn't remain, uh, you know, in that position. And then there were challenges uh, on performance issues around the water affairs that demanded that he removed uh, the likes of Nongkola Mongolians. Just giving you a few examples. And the last consideration, by the way, it was internal political management issues within the ANC. So this is why you would have Batabide Samini, who has not done very well at the social development department, moving into the presidency because she, is, she still remains the president of the ANC Women's League. So that's a political management issue. And Sorry, Dumsane, just just to come in there, the issue of uh, uh, good governance, which is a a welcome decision or a welcome appointment, and it has been welcomed by uh, the opposition and, and, uh, you know, Labour and so on. Integrity, as you say, in Tantanene, performance, uh, seeing that Maide and Gwana Mashabane has been moved to a different portfolio, Let's talk about 2019. It's just around the corner. The cabinet reshuffle happens. Um, it was, uh, there was speculation that David Mabuza, as the ANC deputy president at the time, would only take over the reins as deputy after the 2019 elections. So the reshuffle, we've also seen Figilim Balula now um, being called back to the fold working more in the ANC, focusing on the election for 2019. What's your take on all of these moves? As you say, there's, there's a lot of internal political um, um, you know, issues that were being ironed out and seeing Batabile uh, Lamini being appointed the Minister of Women. Is this going to work in favor of the African National Congress or is it going to work against them going forward? Look, it, it is going to work in favor of the ANC. Uh, if you look to the opposition, for example, in the last few years, the opposition has been focusing on on, on an individual in the form of President Zuma, or former President Zuma. And now they, they are likely to get caught up in that type of politicking by focusing on other ministers that, in their view, they should have left the likes of Batabile Lamin and Kikaba and the like. So, so that, that in itself, it doesn't really position the opposition in a better stage because if that's their only focus, then they are not presenting themselves as an alternative to the ruling party. So that would work in favor of the ANC. But I think the opposition might rise to the occasion because there's, there's enough content for them to present themselves as an opposition um, to the ANC. Now, internally within the ANC, it, it, it's, like, it's going to work because in the next few months, 
there's going to be some serious electioneering. And in most cases, electioneering has a tendency to bring some kind of harmony and unity of, of cohesion to try to fight and win in an election. So in the next few months, I don't expect any internal, major internal problem within the ANC emanating from this racial food. Instead, I see them working a whole lot more closer. And they haven't said that soon. The biggest, the real reshuffle and the restructuring of the cabinet will take place in, in, immediately after the, the election in 2019. That's I where I was coming to. Yes, yeah. that's where I was coming to with regards to, we've seen this reshuffle and just looking at uh, uh, the president's face or expressions as he delivered his his very brief statement uh, last night um, after a, a couple of hours of um, the statement or the announcement uh, being pushed uh, forward and, and so on. He, he didn't look like a happy person. He looked like uh, it's business and (laughs) let's get it done and let's move forward. But 2019, as you stated, we're likely to see a a very big cabinet reshuffle and the reduction of of, uh, the numbers in terms of um, the the, the, the cabinet. What's your take? Cabinet uh, reduction or is it going to happen before? No, I think there will be a cabinet reduction, but not only reduction, it is going to be also the way that various uh, government departments function. So you might find that in the economic portfolio, there's a serious restructuring of how issues of small business and economic development are, are being worked out. So don't be a reduction, but also a restructuring of how the different functions um, operate. But see, so, so I think for me, that is where the serious uh, Ramaphosa cabinet team uh, is going to come up. That at this point in time, he had to reach out to his own internal, uh, let's say, opposition within the ANC. And they keep in mind that since he took over, he has been trying to adopt this Mandela style of leadership, of, of negotiation, consensus, and reaching you know, some kind of consensus for the decisions that he wants to take. I think even yesterday was caught up, you know, in that sense. So it might work for now, but uh, post-2019, uh, his team will really have to show up. Dimsani, this is a, a, de- a developing story and it is going to take another couple of months. Uh, elections are just around the corner and it's very exciting times in South African politics. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll leave it there for now. Thank you, dear. And that was Dimsani Klope, a South African political analyst, joining us on the line. It is 8.31 Central African time and our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headline, South Africa's opposition party, the Democratic Alliance, is the appointment of David Mabuza as a deputy president of the Republic of South Africa's the worst selection of all in the new cabinet by President Cyril Ramaphosa. There will be a pause in the Syrian government's assault on the rebel-held area of eastern Gota due to begin shortly, and the death toll from last week's food protests at a refugee camp in Rwanda increases to 11. Those are the stories making headlines. 
The United Kingdom has criticized the decision by Russia's President Vladimir Putin to implement a five-hour daily truce in Syria's besieged eastern Ghouta region. This is despite a Security Council resolution adopted on Saturday demanding a 30-day ceasefire across the entire country to enable humanitarian deliveries. Hundreds have died in the rebel-held enclave after one of the heaviest bombardments by the Syrian-led coalition supported by Russia and Iran as the government of President Bashar al-Assad claws back important areas lost during seven years of war. Show and Bryce Peace reports. After days of diplomatic wrangling, the decision to call for a month-long ceasefire in Syria was unanimous after the UN chief, Antonio Guterres, described the situation in horrendous terms. Eastern Guter cannot wait. It's high time to stop this hell on earth. And I remind all parties of their absolute obligation under international humanitarian and human rights law to protect civilians and civilian infrastructure at all times. And similarly, efforts to combat terrorism do not supersede these obligations. This was echoed by the UN's human rights chief, High Commissioner Zaydrad al-Hussein. We insist on its full implementation without delay. However, we have every reason to remain cautious as airstrikes on eastern Ghouta continue this morning. Resolution 2401 must also be viewed against a backdrop of seven years of failure to stop the violence, seven years of unremitting and frightful mass killing. Fighting has indeed continued across Syria since Saturday's resolution, including eastern Ghouta. As hopes fade, the Council's decision will stem the bloodshed in the country. The UN's Regional Humanitarian Office, for example, indicated they still don't have the green light to go inside and bring desperately needed food and medical supplies and to carry out medical evacuations. Russian President Vladimir Putin's decision to order a temporary daily pause was criticised by the British. Listen to Deputy UK Ambassador Jonathan Allen. We've got a clear resolution that's been passed by everybody. Every member state of the Security Council is obliged to do everything it can to implement and to see implemented all Security Council resolutions, and that, of course, includes Russia. I've just seen the announcement you refer to, and what I'd say to that is that is not compliance, that is not implementation of the resolution passed on Saturday. Uh, but it does show that it can be implemented. So Russia can implement it if it chooses to. If it's able to do a five-hour pause, it's able to do a 24-hour pause. So uh, it's up to Russia whether it wants to implement fully the resolution that it signed up to and voted for or whether it wants to play cynical games. More than 340,000 people have died and millions have fled as refugees during Syria's war, which enters its eighth year next month with no political resolution in sight. I'm Sherman Bryce-Pease in New York. The Kenya Red Cross Society is appealing for over 9 million U.S. dollars in aid of families in drought-stricken areas. At least 3.4 million Kenyans are estimated to be facing hunger across the country. The current drought was declared a national disaster by President Uhuru Kenyatta last February due to poor rainfall that affected crop yields. For more on the situation in the East African nation, here's a representative of the Kenyan Red Cross Society, Noella Musundi. Kenya is facing a very bad drought crisis. 
Maybe I'll just give you a quick background uh, of uh, how we got here. Normally in Kenya we have two rainy seasons. We have the long rain, which you know starts from March, April, May. Then we have the short rain from October, November, December. So in 2016, these rains, you know, uh, you know, both seasons in 2016 and 2017, they either were not sufficient or even some period. So these indicators, we started seeing them in 2016. And immediately, actually, at the time, about 1.3 people were actually affected by the drought. So at that time, we moved fast, you know, because, you, you know, we picked out about 114, 620 people, especially in arid and semi-arid counties, about five of them. And we said these are the people that were quite in dire need of humanitarian assistance. So we stepped in quite fast and supported but as we moved forward, the situation kept escalating. Hence, this revised appeal to cover the growing number of people affected by the drought. Tell us more about this revised appeal. Now, our recent drought appeal, you know, right now, the national government has also come out, uh, you know, uh, to say that about 3.4 million people are affected. And what we were saying, we as Kenya Red Cross, we picked about 1.4 million people. Because you see drought, it can be a one agency or a government issue. You know, all of us, we are government, all of us, you know, we are stakeholders in this country. And what we are saying, we need to come together and see how do we mitigate, you know, the current drought and especially support the 3.4 million family people that are affected. So for all of the Kenya Red Cross, we are seeking for about 1 billion Kenyan shillings to support about 1.4 million people. The government has also come out, you know, to you know to declare its support. We also having other humanitarian agencies that are working, especially in the ten, you know, alarm and alert camp. Now, what is the Red Cross's um, strategy? How exactly are you responding? You say you are now targeting about 1.4 million people. Can you describe the initiatives you are involved in exactly for us? First of all, we are talking of cash transfers. Yeah, why are we achieving cash transfers? Because it's so dignified. Initially, we've been doing food distribution. And imagine a scenario whereby, let's say, you know, a, a mother, you know, with her three or four children, they've been struggling to get food. They now have to line up for four hours, six hours, you know, to be given a portion of food. We pay at the Kenya Red Cross. We pay it a bit. It's not so dignified. So we are saying if you give somebody, you know, a economic empowerment, give them money, they will be able to prioritize their needs at household level. So we are doing cash transfers because we want to empower people to be able to prioritize. So that apart from just giving them little maize and beans, you know, Maybe somebody's priority is to buy some drugs. Maybe somebody's priority is actually to buy something else. So that is one. Another thing we are doing is through health and uh, nutrition outreaches. We are actually going out, you know, to the villages, you know, to the counties, to be able to treat, you know, the common diseases, and also for children under five to be able, uh, you know, to, to reach out and also, you know, offer treatment, and also to pregnant and lactating mothers. Then the third intervention is through water, sanitation, and hygiene. Actually, what we are doing is to rehabilitate, you know, community, you know, water points, so that families do not have to travel kilometers in search of water. That's Noela Musundi of the Kenyan Red Cross Society on the line from Kenya's capital, Nairobi, speaking to Jane Rabotata. A young South African entrepreneur is taking the wine industry by storm. Ritsokofetsi Mueng started making wine at the tender age of 22 in a caravan in Mahigeng in the northwest province. He makes premium wine under the name Mueng Winery. Channel Africa's Tutongobeni caught up with Mueng to speak about what inspired him about the 
South African wine industry. I make premium wine. Got four ranges currently in our collection, which is a Melo, a Pinot Noir, a Chardonnay, and a Pinot Gris. The process we take is that we buy the grapes from the various grape producers, and then we ship it to Joburg, and then we start our fermentation process from there on. You look very young. I'm sure a lot of people always ask you that question. Where did this passion for winemaking come from? And is it easy as a young person to actually pursue the winemaking industry? Start with the last question. It's not easy to, to be in the wine industry, primarily because you're young, and secondly because you're black. Because um, if you notice, wine is more of a generational industry. So we came in and you have four years' worth of experience. So people still trying to figure out if you're really good at what you're doing or if you're just trying out certain stuff. So it's not easy. But my passion for wine started back in my university days when I used to network a lot. I researched about the alcohol industry in South Africa and then diverted my research to more wine and the growing demand in China. I used to consume a lot of it and I started saying to myself, there's actually an expensive hobby. So I thought to myself, if we want to leave legacies as black people, but more importantly in South Africa, grow economies, we need to be partaking in certain industries. And wine for me was just one of those industries which I saw growth and which I felt that young people needed to be a part of. And as a South African as well, uh, a young person, what was needed for you to start in the market? Is it capital only? You spoke about research as well. What is it that you needed to actually be in this market? And also, is your wine being well received in South Africa as a black winemaker? The wine is being well received, to be honest. Probably more than we anticipated when we started. Grown literally from a caravan to having a warehouse. So... People are receiving well and people are actually shocked or rather impressed by what we can actually we can actually do. For me as an entrepreneur to start off with rather is that I don't necessarily believe that you need capital to start. So how I started is that I sold the idea to a lot of people and I got them excited about the brand. And when the brand eventually came in, mm. it then sold itself. So when I used to work, I took a lot of my salaries to start the business mm. and make a small batch of wine. And then after that, we then distributed to the people that already showed interest into the brand. And mm. from there, it just grew. And finally, what is your message to young people who have the urge, who really have the passion, but don't have the proper tools or information or even capital? My advice would be start. You know, get yourself somebody, not necessarily somebody in the industry, but somebody who believes in your dream, in your brand. But the most important lesson any entrepreneur will learn is that you need to start immediately. Fail then, Mm. but fail forward. Don't let capital distort you from thinking that you could make it. If your brand or if your product is, is what customers need, you will be able to sell it. That's Ritsa Hufe South African premium winemaker, in studio with our reporter Tutongobeni. Channel Africa. Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Mujemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi, informing the world about Africa. Ngatani, in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. And I am Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. This is indeed a joyous night.
we are delighted by the overwhelming support for the African National Congress. To the people of South Africa and the world, this is indeed a joyous night for the human spirit. Your help and apathy. This year, 2018, marks 100 years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Kholihlahla Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa, celebrating 100 years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zosa. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 8.45 and our economics updates. I'm next with Tabisa Luhoku. A very good morning. South Africa's Mineral Mines Minister... Kweta uh, Mantashe has spent half of his life on the mines as a unionist and activist. As a staunch Ramaphosa supporter, Mantashe is expected to break the impasse between the mining industry and the state over the mining charter, which was heightened by the dismissed Minister Museven Zizwane. Busichimombo reports. Kweta Mantashe has spent the last 10 years at the ANC's headquarters Lutuli House and had indicated his preference for party work over state work. He is now the Mineral Resources Minister, a sector he has deep roots in, having cut his teeth at Western Deep Level Mines in 1975 as a recreation officer, and in the same year, he moved to Prisca Copper Mines, where he was welfare officer until 1982. He later co-founded the Vidbank branch of the National Union of Mine Workers and served in the union as its national organizer until 1993. Mantasha has been in the leadership of all arms of the tripartite movement and has since the 18th of December 2017 served as the relatively new chairperson of the ANC. The government of Zambia has observed that while the financial sector has been consistent in tapping into the country's economic growth, it is still a challenge for the greater population to access and enjoy financial services at an affordable cost. MTN Zambia hit 1 million active subscribers on its mobile money platform in January this year. Transport and Communications Permanent Secretary Mishak Lungu says that the need for financial services in areas that are enjoying investment and population growth created an opportunity for financial institutions to thrive. Namibia's Faisal Fresh fresh Produce has joined the Agro-Marketing Trade Agency as 
a wholesale agency under a public-private partnership. This was revealed by Faisal Fresh Produce Chair Thomas Linji during former President Hifikipuni Pohamba's visit to Amta's Fresh Produce Business Hub at Ongwetiva on Monday. Faisal Fresh Produce, one of the biggest fresh produce retail chains in northern Namibia, has been operating at the hub for a month now. The continent's largest tourism trade fair, Africa's Travel Indaba, is now open for registration. The annual event, previously known as Indaba, will run from May the 8th to the 10th under the banner. Africa's stories your success at the Inkosi Albert Lutuli Convention Center in South Africa's coastal city of Durban. Owned and managed by South African Tourism, Africa's Travel Indaba has over the past 37 years established itself as the continent's premier tourism trade show. The event attracts about 7,000 delegates from all over the world annually. South Africa's shop-rate group of companies has defied a struggling domestic economy with a double-digit profit growth on Monday as its new strategy to sell ready-made gourmet products began to pay off. South African retailers have struggled to lift earnings as high household debt squeeze consumer income. Although ShopRite has fared better than others with its focus on budget-conscious consumers, including more than 17 million South Africans on welfare grants. In a bid to retain its leading industry position, the discount retailer's new boss, Peter Engelbacht, is driving hard into higher margin. Up-market products dominated by Ravel Woolworths. The U.S. dollar trades at 11 Five five to the South African Rand. It's at nine three one in Botswana and at nine seven one in Zambia. Seventy one pence to the British pound, eighty one cents to the Euro. Gold one thousand three three two dollars. Platinum nine 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 dollars an ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at six seven dollars three five cents a barrel. I'm Tabi Solohoko from Channel Africa. A sports update up next with Neto Chimani. Thank you, Lulu. A very good morning to all sport fans. Starting off with cricket news. Australian seamer Josh Hazelwood believes the upcoming test series in South Africa will be a lot more tougher than Ashes in terms of intensity. The Aussies will take on the Proteas in a four-match series starting in Durban on Thursday and come into the test on the back of beating England 4-0 at home. While playing in and winning in the Ashes is the pinnacle for any Australian cricketer, Hazelwood feels the contest against the number two ranked Proteas will be a level above what they faced against the English. On to soccer news. Orlando Pirates coach Milutin Mijos Radojovic prefers not to talk about the Buccaneers' chances of winning the APSA Premiership title, even though Pirates are second on the APSA Premiership table with 36 points from 22 matches. Pirates are four points behind the log leaders Mamilori Sundowns, who have collected 40 points from 22 games. Instead of talking up 
Instead of choking up Pirates' chances of begging the APSA Premiership title, Slotojovic insists that it should be coaches like Pito Masimane from Mamelodi Sundowns and Keza Chiefs' Steve Compeller, who have had their jobs for more than two seasons, who must talk about winning the league crown. Nonetheless, Radojovic says Pirate supporters deserve something in the form of a trophy this season after the Buccaneers finished outside the top eight bracket last season. Radojovic also revealed that he has a group of players who are eager to deliver. South African Premiership side log leaders Mamelodi Sundowns head coach Pizzo Masimane is not worried by his team's inconsistent form in the last few games. The Brazilians dropped four points last week in their two matches against Free State Stars and Supersport United, while at rivals Orlando Pirates closed the gap to within four points with a win over Chipper United. Keza Chiefs failed to take advantage when they dropped points against Bloom Celtic. We are still in the pole position. Eh? How many points? Today, how many points? Ah, so how many points are we? You must also understand the games are getting lesser. Don't go with the, with the talk of uh, this. Or the, the games are getting lesser. Eh? And you know the dam is coming. Okay? Maybe this point is good. Eh? You know what's going to happen there. Eh? You know? So how do you know Chiefs are going to win the dam? We're going to beat Paris. Are you sure? And what, what do you usually get there? Oh, okay. You said it, I never said it. <laughs> you know, so, so, so maybe the Chinese David draw is still good. How can I worry about somebody who still has to pass? Um, I've got a lead. Okay, it's not a really, really big convincing lead. You know? But who's convincing? On to rugby news, the Springbok Sevens team may have won three of the last five USA Sevens tournaments, but they will not be resting on their laurels this week as they start their defense of the title in Sam Boyd Stadium in Las Vegas on Friday. The Blitzbox will face Wales and Canada on the first day of the tournament and will not take anything for granted in the Nevada desert. In the fifth tournament of the World Rugby Sevens series, Ryan Ostjason, Selvin Davids and Mola Duplessis will play in their first Las Vegas tournament, but according to coach Neil Powell, this will not impact on their performances. Among the experienced group, four players have played in more than 50 tournaments for the Blitzbox, and one of them, Cecil Africa, has scored 210 points at this venue, including 27 tries. The other veterans are Kyle Brown, Broco Dupree, and Philip Sneiman. And finally, in tennis news, an 18-nation World Cup of Tennis Finals is planned as the International Tennis Federation, ITF, revamps the Davis Cup. The week-long event, which would be held in November, has been anonymously endorsed by the ITF's Board of Directors and could start in 2019. The ITF has outlined a 25-year, $3 billion US dollars plan with an investment group founded by footballer Gerard Piquet. A two-thirds majority at the ITF annual general meeting will be required for final approval of the proposals. That meeting is scheduled to take place in Orlando in August. Thank you for choosing Channel Africa. Stay tuned for programming news and sport from an African perspective. More sports news in the next hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
Recapping our top stories in Africa rise and shine at the Sawa. Mixed reaction to South Africa's cabinet reshuffle and UN chief says Syria's ceasefire must take effect immediately. That wraps up Africa rise and shine today. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuto Ramagadza and Tutungobeni, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Africa, or send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or WhatsApp on 277-6300-3327. I'm taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa. Hugh Masekela with a song titled Timlela.